Yeah, I mean, it's tough to win in this league. Um, you're playing a good team and your quarterback plays like made some bad decisions tonight, really cost our team. Um, lots to learn from, lots to grow from. But that's not that's not the uh, standard we hold ourselves to. That's not the ball that we play. Um, so, lots to look at, lots to learn from. Well, first mistake was not shaving off that mustache. I think the Amen. mustache is going to be gone. That mustache, yeah. Miles, it reminds me of Oof. Catholic high school, no facial hair. So the year we graduated, we all grew mustaches, and we looked ridiculous. That's the Josh Allen yeah, mustache. The kid yeah. who just finished Catholic school, it's his first summer. He can finally grow facial hair, and that's what he can do. Nope, let it go. That's yeah. when you find out you're not Tom Selleck. You just have to shave it off <laughs> and deal with no hair over your lip for the rest of your life. Please, Josh, I beg you, shave that. And yeah, I have a feeling that, that if there's go. any element of superstition in Josh Allen, that's gone, Miles. Oh, no doubt. I mean, I did something similar my senior year of high school. All of a sudden, the football team, we dressed up as Star Wars. And so, of course, I was Lando Calrissian. So I did the mustache thing. And, like, I look back on those pictures, and it's like, good Lord, dude, what in the world were you doing? The rest of the costume is <laughs> good, though. Uh, okay. So, uh, boy, that would have been great last Monday. It would have been it would have fit right in last Monday, but it still works. Um, the Bills weren't getting it done yesterday. And, and here's my big picture take on the Bills. When you get their full attention, they'll kick your ass. When you don't get their full attention, and there have been great teams in the history of the NFL that are like this, where they, they just they play down to the level of the competition. They sleepwalk through games where they feel like they can just show up and win, and the next thing they know, they're in a tough game that either they are or aren't going to win. And there's been too many of those games for the Bills this year, Miles, that – Oh, well, maybe we'll win. Maybe we won't. The game against the Ravens, they come back and win. The game against the Dolphins, they dramatically outplayed Miami and found a way to lose that game. This is one that they just should not have lost. The Jets were in kind of disarray after losing at home to the Patriots. And the Bills had every reason to come out and establish because they, they weren't as good against the Packers in prime time as they could have been slash should have been. They only won by 10. They should have won by 30. That kind of – I've, I've been stunned by this one. I thought this would be a great reestablishing game for the Buffalo Bills, the team that I kept hearing it. Oh, they're the bow. How can you? How dare you? How dare you have the Eagles above the Bills in the power rankings? The Bills are clearly the best team in the National Football League. Well, I don't think I'm going to be getting those emails this week. Yeah, probably not. But look, I mean, Mike, this was the thing that I was talking about last week where it just seems like sometimes the Bills have these lapses, right? You get Josh Allen playing like he's 2018, 2019 Josh Allen. I mean, the two picks he threw were just bad. Just really, really bad. Like, what is he looking at here? He's not open. It's just not open at all. And then this is just, what are you looking at, man? I don't understand. And, you know, he said it, you know, it's tough to win when your quarterback plays poorly and he didn't say poorly, but when you have Josh Allen, who we think of as an MVP candidate, right? He cannot have these lapses, especially against divisional opponents. And I understand it's tougher when you're going against teams in your division and they know you, you know them, and it's this and it's that. And that's sometimes why we see these topsy-turvy results. But at the same time, this is now a trend. I love the way Mike Tomlin says it. Two games is a trend in our business. 
right? This is two games in a row where you're seeing Josh Allen have lapses that are just not acceptable from a quarterback of his caliber. He's got to get it right. I think he will, but that's the kind of thing that you look at the Bills and you're like, wait a minute, this is a little bit concerning. And I want to go back to a preseason narrative that I, I oh, abandoned because, yeah, uh, uh, yes. Well, because I, I know my narratives going. aren't my narratives aren't always things that I pull out of thin air and or my butt. Uh, my my narratives often are shaped by people in the league who can't put their name on something but want the idea to be out there and will will talk well, to me about baseball. it. And, right. So anyway, the pressure the Bills are facing this year. The pressure from within the organization on Sean McDermott and Brandon Bean. As this team, this incredibly talented team, fails to live up to the high expectations that past performances have created. And you swap out Brian Dayball for Ken Dorsey. And we saw how Ken Too bad there was no camera yesterday in the Ken Dorsey coaching box. I have a feeling that thing's been permanently disconnected, just like the sky cam that that had to be buried next to Jimmy Hoffa yesterday. And I know it's not the same stadium, folks. I, I love how people get all technical. You know, that stadium's been torn down. It's next it's door. The, I know, but the whole... It's the it's, same it's, parking lot. Like, yeah, and it's come on. not it's like the they're going to bury... It's not like they're going to bury the freaking camera. The whole thing is ridiculous. And they're, they're, they're quibbling over geographic location on a ridiculous premise that they're going to get a shovel and dig a hole like they did for Billy Bats and bury the sky cam. So anyway, um, what were I talking about? Oh, the, the, I, I'm just your bills. The, the bills, the bills, they, they, they just got to be careful. And that, that whole, Hey, we beat the chiefs. We we've, we've accomplished our challenge. We've slayed the dragon. No, you no, you haven't. You got a long way to go. You got a long way to go. Yes. You beat the chiefs. Well done. You still got games to play. And, Oh, they're in a division now where everybody's over 500 and everybody's dangerous. They still got to play the Patriots twice. They got the Dolphins again. They got the Jeff Jets again. They, they, this is this. And they got the Vikings coming to town this weekend. And I've been telling my son for weeks. Oh, oh, hey, don't don't get your hopes up. The Vikings are going to beat the Bills. I mean, the Bills are just going to splatter the Vikings now after yesterday. And after seeing six straight wins where the Vikings keep finding a way and finding a way and finding a way and the Bills recently finding a way to not find a way, I don't know now. Yeah, I mean, that's the game of the week next week, aside from when I, what we've got on our network on Sunday Night Football between San Francisco and the Los Angeles Chargers, obviously. Oh, wow, um, wow, wow. wow. You're, very, think... you're a very good company, man. Yeah. Next, <laughs> uh, next thing you do is you show with that peacock fat, uh, tattoo on your forehead. Slap that thing on, baby. Um, but uh, yeah, you know what? The other problem with the Bills, too, is that they still don't have a run game. And yesterday, they were not able to stop the run. Right? That long drive that uh, the Jets had to take the lead, they were able to just pound the ball and pound the ball and pound the ball. And that's not something that we expect to see from a Buffalo Bills defense. Von Miller was talking about it after the game and was saying that, you know, we they were just able to run the ball at us and run it effectively. And that's not something that we expect to have against us. So that's something that the Bills have to solve too. And offensively, I mean, if Josh Allen is your biggest threat of the run, Sometimes that's fine, 
Sometimes it's not. But when Josh Allen is kind of having an off day, as he did yesterday, they need to lean more into the run game if they can get it going at all, right? And so if Josh Allen's your leading rusher, then sometimes that's a little bit of a problem, right? I, I, I would like to see the Bills develop more of a run game. And I understand that that's a little bit difficult when Josh Allen is as good as he is. But like I said yesterday, when he's making really, really bad decisions and really bad passes, you need to do something to take a little bit of pressure off of him. So I don't know what they've got to do in order to adjust to that. But somebody else has got to step up offensively, especially in the run game, whether it's Naeem Hines, who they just traded for, or somebody else. Well, Naeem Hines had one target yesterday in the passing game, no catches, and also no carries. Uh, So they didn't exactly plug him in the way they could have and should have. And, hey, Miles, of all the running backs that were available, I mean, I'll do respect to Naeem Hines, but he's not the guy who's going to come in and all of a sudden get everybody to perk up and say, oh, the Bills got the last piece they needed. Here they go. Brandon <laughs> Bean fair. admitted that, that they tried to get in on the Christian McCaffrey sweepstakes, and it didn't work out. He denied that they called the Saints about Alvin Kamara. Jay Glazer reported eight days ago that they did. I'll, I'll defer to Glazer on that one. He wouldn't say it if he wasn't 100% sure it was true. They didn't do enough yep. to, to obviously get Kamara. This is what happened last year. They could have gone after Vaughn Miller. They could have gone after OBJ. And I remember saying at some point during the postseason or maybe right after it, if the Bills had been the team to get Vaughn Miller and OBJ, they'd be the ones holding up the trophy right now. That those moves you make at the right time in season can make all the difference or not. And back to back to uh, Ken Dorsey. This is a Sims point, And he made it in the context of the Cowboys when Dak Prescott was injured. You get away from just assuming your great quarterback is going to save your ass, and you actually bust your ass to come up with plays that will work, strategies that Mm. will work, mindsets that will be effective. When you got Josh Allen, do you really work as hard? Do you really try? I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I, I, I know. Ken I don't know. Very comp- I'm, no, I'm, look, no. I, I, well, Miles, the numbers, the numbers never lie. He's your leading rusher by 62 yards. I know. Like, I mean, I I, and I'm not saying I'm not talking about actual like, are you are you sleeping late because, you know, you have Josh Allen. I'm talking about the amount of time and effort that is spent to. The, the, the basic football mindsets, commitment to the run, that the run sets up the pass. The better you run, the better you pass. Not just, we got Josh Allen, we're going to kick your ass no matter what we do. That, that's a very tempting mindset for teams to adopt when they have a truly special player. You don't see the Chiefs do that with Patrick Mahomes, but you see other teams do that sometimes with great quarterbacks. And I just wonder whether that's going on in Buffalo where they're not being as creative. A head coach isn't an offensive guy. They're not being as creative as they need to be to get the most out of their offense and to make it work. Otherwise, they score more than 17 points against the Jets. Well, yeah, I mean, I I guess I would just counter that by saying sometimes it's not necessarily about the run or the pass or whatever. I I tend to think that balance on offense is somewhat of a lie, although you do need at least the semblance of a threat of a run game most of the time in order to really be effective. But if you have Josh Allen and you have a really good passing attack, then usually the best way of being the most effective is to let him work. And But the other part of that is if you want to close out a game, you at least need the semblance of a threat of a run game 
to really get you down the field and have soul crushing drives and things like that. But I, I don't know. I, I, I think that there are a lot of positive things to still feel about Buffalo, but yeah, I mean, you, you have to be concerned about the lapses and that right here is where we are, especially in these divisional games where it's look, the they're playing sort of well, right. But then you don't have enough guys stepping up. Is it, is it because Gabe Davis hasn't stepped up enough? Right. Isaiah McKenzie is another guy that is good that we thought could step up. Can he do it a little bit better? Dawson Knox, has he been as effective as he was before? So it maybe some of it is the coaching, but others of it may be just that guys have to step up too, right? I mean, they didn't get Stefan Diggs involved probably enough in the second half of the game. And Alan's talking about that too. So I, I don't know. I think it's a variety of different things. Advantage OBJ who reportedly will be cleared fully and completely later this week. The thinking has been that he'll end up with the Bills. Maybe he gets a little money out of the Bills now. Or maybe he decides maybe. to go a different direction, that maybe the Bills aren't the answer if he's trying to win a second straight Super Bowl. The Cowboys have emerged. And it wasn't just a report from NFL Network yesterday. I was talking to some people uh, during the games, texting and talking, and uh, the Cowboys thing is real. And maybe he looks at the okay. Cowboys and says, this is the place where I want to go. Go be in Dallas. Go be a superstar there with America's team. The Jets Fun. need some credit. we got to give the Jets some credit yeah. before we go to the next game. Well yeah. done, Jets. And well done, Zach Wilson. I talked to him after the game. And I, I, he, he was a little defensive about having a bad game against the Patriots. And I, I like, that, I like that, that fight. You know, oh, it was just a couple of okay. bad plays. But still, he learned yeah. from his mistakes. And he thrived under that intense criticism. The Jets fans, Sims rails about it all the time. They want a savior, and then they want to get rid of their savior once they've gotten a savior, and they want to start looking for a new savior. Give this kid a chance to become what he can be. And yesterday, he was much better. He doesn't have to go out and do it all himself. He doesn't have to have eye-popping stats. He just has to go out and play a clean game or at least as clean as possible because they have a good enough defense. They don't need him to go out there and win the game with his arm or his legs, Miles. No, they don't. And, you know, when you've got your corners playing as well as those dudes were playing, I mean, that that's a big reason why. I mean, Sauce Gardner, I think, is probably the front runner for defensive rookie of the year. I don't feel like I'm talking too out of turn when I say that. Uh, and he's been brilliant. I mean, you've got corners now that are playing the type of defense that Robert Sala really wants to instill in those guys be a bully, right? So when you're making plays like this, and again, it's a bad decision by Josh Allen, but at the same time, you have to know where you are and you have to actually catch the ball and then you got to make the play happen, right? I mean, so many times we see defensive backs not catch the ball and then it's like, oh, if they could catch them, they'd be a receiver. But I mean, if they're making plays like this, and preventing Josh Allen from getting the ball in Stephon Diggs' hands and Gabe Davis's hands, et cetera, then that's going to tell you a lot about the way that team is playing. And, yeah, it's obviously going to help out your young quarterback, too, when you don't have to score as many points. Congrats to the Jets, who are very much in the thick of things at 6-3 and three in the AFC East. The Packers are not in the thick of anything right now. Five straight losses. 
for the first time since 2008, the first year that Aaron Rodgers was the starting quarterback of the Packers. That was the season that was marred from the get-go by the Brett Favre. Hey, I know you tried to float me off on a little sheet of ice, but I'm back. I found a paddle, and I'm back. Deal with me. That threw the whole season off for the Packers, and Rodgers ultimately in his third year became one of the best players in the NFL. But five straight losses. 14 years later, they're 3-6 and six on the year. Let's hear from Aaron Rodgers on the question of whether he regrets not retiring and the observation that he's looking pretty miserable right now. I think that's an exaggeration, Pete. Um, frustration and miserability are two different emotions. So um, when I decided to come back, it was all in, and, and I don't make decisions. And then, you know, hindsight, 2020 you know, have regrets about uh, big decisions like that. So I was all in, and uh, this is uh, a lot of life lessons for sure this year. Um, But luckily it's not over. There's still a lot of games left. We'll be counted out probably by many. And we'll see how we respond. Yeah, how dare you point out the fact that we suck. I hate that narrative. We'll be counted out. There's a reason you're being counted out. You stink. That's why you're being counted out. So if that's what you need to motivate yourself, hey, let's be so bad that everybody points out how bad we are, and that'll motivate us to be good. What a crock of crap that is. I get so sick of that narrative. Oh, we'll be counted out. Yes, you deserve to be counted out, Miles. Yeah, they lost. They Like you said, they lost five straight. Man, they look really bad, and Aaron Rodgers looks miserable, as we talked about. He looked pretty miserable in whatever that getup was, too. Well, you talk about oh, the, oh, the, you're the one. The you're the one. I it. waited. I didn't say anything Look. about it. I don't know what the hell that layered five <laughs> levels of black. That's, what is that? That's how I look every day when I start working because I have a sleeveless hoodie <laughs> and I wear a long sleeve workout shirt. And that's how I sit in my apartment and write articles. I don't know if I would ever look like that at a press conference. I don't know what's going on. He looks like he's going to a bizarro funeral with all of that black on. I don't know what's going on there. And maybe it's just in some ways the the death of his career. Because look, those were three bad interceptions that he threw yesterday. They're just bad, especially that last one. Like, what are you doing? You're throwing into triple coverage, man. You're throwing something off somebody's helmet. I mean, you're throwing off your back foot to your left tackle. Like, what is going on? I just, I can't imagine how it must be in that building to come into work every day if you're the Packers right now. Because it must be freaking miserable when your quarterback who is a back-to-back MVP who calls people out publicly who's probably not the most fun person in the world to work with is is going out and playing then like this and he doesn't have any trust with his receivers and it's just that must be a miserable place to go into work every day right now but frustration and miserability are two different yes miserability yeah I've been immunized Um, hey let, let me tell you let me tell you something uh, well, what do they call it in high school when you wear black all the time? Goth? Is that what it is? Do they still do that? Is it still like, you know, you know, the moody the music. kid. Good that Lord. The mo- is it still, is that still a thing? The the moody I mean, kid that won't talk to anybody that, I mean, that's what, he, I mean, what, what is with all the black? You, you, emo, like, emo. Emo. Yeah. Goth became emo. It's whatever. Emo. Yeah. Emo. Uh, anyway, I, I look. <laughs> This is weird. This is just weird. Everything about it. And, hey, our most trafficked story yesterday 
was our analysis of the coincidental Sunday splash reports from ESPN and NFL media about how hard the Packers tried to make a trade. We tried to get Darren Waller. We tried to get Chase Claypool. The, the stories were almost written the exact same way, the exact same formula, the lead. Well, they didn't make a trade, but at least they tried. The closer, here's Aaron Rodgers' quotes saying it's okay that they didn't make the trade. I don't know who they're trying to convince, but I and, – and, you know, maybe Rodgers decided after being a jerk about calling out teammates, even though he didn't name them, how many, how many guesses do you need as to who he's talking about? After that, he wasn't going to call out anybody for not making a trade, but I just feel like it's, it's just dysfunction junction in Green Bay right now. And like the Rams, they have no idea how to get out of it. Yeah, it, it, yeah, it's exactly the same. It's it's an off season problem. I mean, you you cannot fix what's ailing them. I mean, Chase Chase Claypool is not going to make that that much better, right? Because how long is it going to take him to establish trust with Chase Claypool right. when he doesn't yeah. have it with the receivers he's already got that have been there throughout the entire off season program? So hey hey hey, if I if right now if I'm choosing between two quarterbacks. For now and moving forward in my career, of course it's Justin Fields over Aaron Rodgers. Because well, Aaron Rodgers probably been gone after this year. Bay. Right, exactly. It's the same yeah. reason why Devontae Adams left Green Bay, although that's working out really, really well there for them in Las Vegas. But well, still, we may touch on that. We may touch on that coming up. We are way over. We've done two segments of the show in 75 Whee! minutes. We have five more to cram in the final 45. We'll take a break. We'll return. Week 9 superlatives. Probably a truncated version of Week 9 superlatives right here on PFT Live. We'll be right back. a few weeks ago, I wanted to see you get back to dominating the slot, just bullying people. It seems like you've gotten your confidence, your back. What makes you feel so comfortable? This is offense, man. I'm not going <laughs> to, hey, man, like for all the guys out there, man, this offense is very special and unique. Um, and you have a guy like Patrick Mahomes, and you got guys like Travis Kelsey who could take a double team, and you have other guys who could just make plays, all because of Andy Reid. He sets you up for those, you know, success. So, uh, this offense is very special. Sunday Night Football final postgame interview with Chiefs receiver Juju Smith-Schuster, available on demand on Peacock until 7 p.m. Eastern tonight. Superlatives time for Week 9. We get right to it. Miles, what do you have? Let's go to Las Vegas because there are some Las Vegas lead blowers over there, right? I mean, they were up 17 to nothing over the Jacksonville Jaguars and then lost that game 27 to 20. It's the third time that they have had a lead of at least 17 points this season and blown it. It's ridiculous, it's inexplicable when you have somebody like Devontae Adams who finished with one catch for three yards last week. They got him involved. He had nine catches for 146, two touchdowns in the first half alone and finished with 10 catches for 146 yards and two touchdowns. How does that happen? How does that happen? I don't understand what's going on in Las Vegas, but I put it out there on Twitter last night, Mike. I don't think it's unreasonable to ask at oh, this point oh. if Josh McDaniels is going to be one and done. Oh, somebody raised me last Sunday. Hey, why is all this heat on Nathaniel Hackett when McDaniels is doing such a crappy job? It's like, well, because the owners in Denver didn't hire their guy. Right. Mark Davis hired this guy, but Mark Mark Davis can unhire Josh McDaniels if he chooses to do so. He can bring back Rich Bisaccia if he wants to do it. He can bring back John Gruden, frankly, if he wants to do it. And crazier things have happened this month. So uh, I, I'm not 
trying to suggest he'll bring back Basaccia or Gruden, but he can do whatever he wants. It's one of the benefits of holding the ownership papers of uh, of the team. And, and I was stunned by this one. This was one Sims and I disagreed on it last week, so it's one I was paying attention to. I saw the Raiders were up big, so you know, you're watching eight games at once. I stopped. I stopped focusing on that game, and I look up, and I see it's 24-20. It's like, what the hell has gone on in Jacksonville, but not good for the Las Vegas Raiders? Um, I, I, I usually pride myself on coming up with a somewhat witty name for an award. This kind of sounds more like a Chris Berman nickname, Joe mixing it up. But he did. Five touchdowns yesterday. Team record. And I talked to him afterward. He had no idea this was coming. He had no idea his number was going to get called. He just keeps himself ready. He hasn't had a big year. His rushing totals were down. The Bengals haven't been running the ball. They haven't been able to run the ball. Their offensive line hasn't been good. Short week, blown out by the Browns, embarrassed by the Browns, turned it around, and completely embarrassed the Panthers. Got guys fired from that coaching staff. Miles, you made the point earlier during break. Who the hell is going to be left on that coaching staff? Steve Wilkes firing more guys. Joe Mixon responsible for it with those five touchdowns. He said he gave a couple of the balls to his offensive lineman. He gave one to a fan. He's going to keep one for himself, maybe give one to his mom. Five of them. You don't have to worry about, right, having not enough options for who you're going to give the football to when you got five of them to distribute. Yeah, that was awesome from them. And you know what? I mean, the Bengals, sort of like the Rams against the 49ers, they're never quite as bad as they look against the Browns. For whatever reason, the Browns just kind of have their number. Uh, next one from me. Let me call it the Ofer Award. And this one's going to the Colts because they were 0 for 14 on third down plus 0 for 2 on fourth down. And my goodness, they look terrible. He, Sam Ellinger took six sacks on third down he had nine sacks total it was just an abject disaster for the colts on offense i mean every third down it practically seemed like oh yeah yeah that's gonna be a sack i mean i i don't know if firing frank reich and chris ballard before the end of the season is going to really have any advantage for jim ursay and the colts but it's starting to get that kind of inevitable feel that we got with the panthers and that rule, I, I, I mean, you put Sam Ellinger in there, you fire Marcus Brady as the offensive coordinator. They're, they're kind of out of answers, and I think the buck is going to stop at Ballard and Reich. Well, Jim Irsay has said it's not, but how can it not? And Chris I Ballard mean, has put together a great team, but the problem is these swings and misses with quarterbacks. And the only good news that comes out of this is if they end up so bad, they rise up in the standings without being accused of tanking, even if that's exactly what they're doing, and they get themselves a franchise quarterback and they can try to move forward. But, yeah, yesterday was horrendous for the Colts, and it's not getting any better. And they still somehow have three wins and a tie this year. That's what's amazing, 3-5-1. and one. They don't feel like a 3-5-1 and one team. They no feel way. like a 1-7 and seven team at this point. Uh, the next one for me, and it, it's too good to even justify a name, which is, is my cover for not really having a good enough name for it. But this celebration from the Vikings, and I tried to do a head count. First of all, there's only 10 pins in a bowling alley. Second of all, they're lined up they're lined up in a triangle, not a big cluster. But after Harrison Smith intercepted Taylor Heineke to put the Vikings in business after they were down 10 and left for dead, he rolls the ball. Now, I, there's, I didn't think you were allowed to join the celebration from the sidelines. There's no way that those are the guys who are on the field. That's more than 10 guys there. Isn't that more than 10? 
I got to freeze frame that and count it. But that seems like more than 10 guys. And then there's the last one to go down. That was an excellent celebration. The Vikings kind of pioneered that back in 2017. The year they got to the NFC Championship, they were having fun. That was the year that these celebrations, group efforts were allowed. And uh, love to see the Vikings do it. As long as they all keep their helmets on, that's all fair game. Yeah, exactly. No, look, that's the way it should be when you're winning like that. You know, when you keep making plays, you get turnovers. Celebrate. It's hard to do those things. Have fun. 14 is the official count, according to the control room. So, uh, number one, that's not bowling, at least not any bowling I'm used to, which I'm horrible (laughs) at. And number two, probably had some guys in that celebration that shouldn't have joined the celebration from the sideline. And, again, that Ah. is one of the no-nos for the no fun league, although they do allow guys to have that kind of fun. Let's go ahead. And and there also may have been more guys in that cluster right there than there were in the entire stands at uh, the game yesterday, or at least Commanders fans, because plenty of Vikings fans there. They got loud as that game turned. We'll talk more about the Vikings making it six in a row by beating the Washington Commanders and the Seahawks keeping it rolling. We'll discuss that next on PFT Live. We'll be right back. There it is, the You Like That chant. Kirk Cousins back at FedEx Field for the first time since he left the Washington franchise after the 2017 season. I didn't like it for most of the game. Kirk Cousins seemed overmatched. He seemed confused. They had a touchdown on the first drive. They stunk after that. But afterward, there they are on the plane with the chains, shirts off, sun's out, guns out. And Kirk Cousins. And could you imagine the Vikings doing that last year when Mike Zimmer was the coach? Could you imagine? I have a feeling that would not have been happening. First of all, they weren't winning, so there's no reason to celebrate. But, Miles, I I tell you what. This whole idea of finding a way to win close games. Mm -hmm. it's, It's nothing that ever shows up on a stat sheet. It's Purely and totally intangible, but it's about focusing in a moment when the focus is needed the most. And what it epitomized it yesterday when the defense made a stop. You could just tell Dalvin Cook had a level of determination that they weren't going to be denied. He wasn't going to be denied, and they weren't going to be denied. And I don't know if it's coaching, culture, it's all those things that gets guys to really come together in moments of adversity and not fracture. It's what we were talking about earlier with Andy Reid. What do you do in those moments where it's not your day? It would have been very easy for the Vikings after that weird, goofy play where the official gets in the way of the defensive back and the commanders score and they go up 10-7. to It would have been very easy to say it's just not our day. And then it's 17-7. to All right, hey, we've had a great run. 6-2 is fine. But, you know, but they, they, they come back. And what a catch by Dalvin Cook to tie the game up halfway through the fourth quarter like I said he was not going to be denied yesterday miles and that mindset is why they're winning these games late they will not be denied yeah they don't quit I I think Kevin O'Connell obviously has done a really nice job of establishing what he wants his culture to be and when you get out to this much success so early on in your tenure I mean it's going to help you not just this year but I think for years down the line right so yeah, you, you get a situation where Kirk Cousins has to engineer a comeback in the building that used to be his home, and you get people cheering you like that, and then you get back on the plane, and, you know, you talk about being over 
overmatched or bewildered or whatever. I mean, I'm a little overmatched and bewildered by whatever in the world was going on on that plane because Kirk Cousins with the chains and the shirt off and you're at 30,000 feet or wherever they're still on the tarmac. I don't know. That's some wild stuff, but it shows what's going on there is good right? You don't have celebrations like that without a really, really strong kind of internal culture that's been built, not just with the offensive success, but also with the defense and everybody's coming together, right? And I think that's emblematic also when you're on the field and you see the TJ Hawkinson who got there on Wednesday has nine catches for what, 70, 80 yards, something like that. That's not something that you expect to see out of a guy who literally just walked in the building for the first time. So they've got something rolling in Minnesota. They really do. Nine targets, nine catches, 70 yards. Hawkinson told me after the game that it was like learning a new language all week long. He spent overtime doing it. It was his fourth offense that he's had to learn in his career. And he's got little tricks that he uses, devices to learn the terminology. And what helped him was... And this was a great point. He'd already played the commander, so he didn't have to spend as much time studying their defense. He could spend more time learning the playbook. He knew that defense from when they played earlier this year. But, Miles, this is where the road officially gets rocky for the Vikings. At Buffalo, Cowboys, Patriots, Jets, at the Lions, which is not going to be easy divisional game. Colts, okay, Giants on Christmas Eve. At the Packers, which is not going to be easy. At the Bears, which is not going to be easy. You know, it may be meaning it may be meaningless for the Vikings by then. They'll have the division probably locked up by then, but it gets difficult. The good news, yeah. though, they got five out of six home games coming up after Buffalo. Five out of six games in the Metrodome before they go outside for the last two at the Packers and the Bears. In the where? And, you know, I, oh, the Metrodome, U.S. Bank Stadium. Sorry, close what? enough. They know who we mean. Just like Giants Stadium. And MetLife, sorry, sorry, it's 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 only been six years since they opened the new stadium. Cut me some slack. Um, only. Uh, anyway, anyway, uh, what was my point? Oh, well, look, they 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 they've built in some buffer. They're four and a half games ahead in the division, Absolutely. and and who knows what they're going to be? Who knows? They've lost. They lost the, the one loss. They were soundly beaten by the Eagles. But you know what? If they would have a rematch with the Eagles, it would be like four months later. And who knows? Who knows? I just I keep predicting that this thing is going to fall apart. And every time it looks like it's going to fall apart, they find a way to slap it back together and get it done. Yeah, they do. And look, I mean, this is a huge game next week between the the Vikings and the Buffalo Bills. I mean, I, I remember the last time those two teams met was in 2018, and it was basically Josh Allen's coming out party because he leapfrogs over, you know, the defender, the linebacker, and it's like, oh my gosh, whoa, who is this? And so like this is now one of these games that's between one loss teams. Excuse me, no, it's not anymore, right? I mean, because the Bills have more than one, but it's it's going to be one of those situations where you're going to see if the Vikings can actually compete with one of the top teams because they didn't the last time they faced somebody in the Eagles that we know was one of those top teams. So I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing how they do. That's a hell of a game to be landing at 1 o'clock Eastern, too, next Sunday. Yeah. But that's where it is. And it was a game in 2018 where the Vikings were 17.5-point favorites. And the Bills came in and, and thumped them. And that's when we realized yeah. Josh Allen can run. We've been so focused on passing and accuracy and his, his yeah. completion percentage and how much of it's him, the weather, the receivers. And he ran around, over, through 
the Vikings that day. Uh, so this is the first time. And this is the first time they're going to see Stephon Diggs. We didn't mention the Josh Allen elbow injury. He hurt it late in the game. He said he'll be fine. If he's not fine, it's the bizarro Minneapolis miracle game because it'll be Case Keenum and Stephon Diggs against the Vikings. Those were the two guys, obviously, who, who put together one of the all-time great postseason plays in NFL history. All right, Seattle Seahawks. They just keep winning. They beat the Cardinals to complete the sweep. They rebound from a pick six uh, with touchdowns on three drives in the second half. And Geno Smith said the pick six was the thing that woke them up. And after that, they took over. It helps to have Ken Walker the third, the best rookie running back right now in the NFL, maybe the best running back overall currently in the National Football League, Miles. Yeah, I I can't really disagree with that. I mean, he has 26 carries, 109 yards, two touchdowns yesterday. But, I mean, you talk about the guy, and you you often use the the saying, the straw that stirs the drink. That's Geno Smith right now for the Seattle Seahawks, and he's playing some real, real good ball. And, yeah, he had that pick six, and sometimes that happens. But it's the way you respond from it, right? And guys in the locker room, you know, I'm reading it from different stuff, and you can see that they feel really comfortable with the way Geno Smith says, okay, guys, that play's done. We're fine. We're fine. We're going to be okay. He keeps them focused, right? He keeps them on that next path. And Geno Smith just goes out there and throws dimes. He throws strikes. You know, this pass right here, that touchdown, that's a great ball. So I I feel really, really good about the Seahawks and watching them and just seeing, like, the fun that they're having playing football. And you look at John Schneider, who's walking around smiling. Uh, Pete Carroll is walking around like you should have a monocle on and a cane and just, you know, being this guy who just struts everywhere. It's fun to watch them because they're playing good ball. You just described Mr. Peanut. (laughs) The top hat, monocle, and the cane. We don't don't see enough Mr. Peanut Halloween costumes. Maybe that's what I'll be next year if I remember. Mr. Peanut. Ah, that's uh, a great one, yeah. But, uh, hey, hey, they they have been so much better than anyone expected. You juxtapose that with the Broncos not being very good at all. This is a great year for Pete Carroll and John Schneider and everyone with the Seahawks organization, and they keep getting better. That's the key. They keep finding ways to improve. Walker's getting more comfortable. Geno Smith, it's not a fluke. And we began the discussion yesterday on the PFT writer's text thread. Geno Smith, comeback player of the year, MVP, or both? Wouldn't it be something, and I don't think it would happen, that he would be both? But who knows? He could be both. By the time it's all said and done, the Seahawks have to get the one seed. That's the problem. If the the Eagles are the one seed, Jalen Hurts becomes the MVP candidate out of the NFC. It would come down to Hurts plus whoever the quarterback of the one seed is in the AFC, unless Tyreek Hill has 2,100 receiving yards. But uh, if, if the Seahawks keep going and if the Eagles stumble and the Seahawks somehow end up the one seed, Geno Smith is a, is a very clear MVP candidate, Miles. Uh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, at the very least, comeback player of the year, right? I mean, if things continue going the way that they are, I don't know that anybody yeah. would really disagree but, with that. But at but the same time. But then you've got Shireen making the coming back from uh, what argument. Coming well, back from look, being on the bench, she's not ready yeah. to endorse that. I'm ready to endorse it. That's okay. I know we got. I, I do defer to mother football for most things, but on this one, I, I'm going to stand my ground. I think it really it, it should be Gino. I mean, look, he's coming back from not being a starter since 2014, right? I mean, that's it's a really really long time. I think that's coming back from something. 
Shireen's great because she's very mild-mannered and polite and friendly and nice. But every once in a while, she'll stuff someone in a body bag out of the blue, like she did with Ryan Tannehill, to whom she has a high degree of affinity, Texas A&M. But when he won Comeback Player of the Year, her reaction was, and I quote, coming back from what? Sucking? So uh, don't, don't get on the wrong side of Shereen Williams when debating Comeback Player of the Year. Let's go ahead and take a break. Maybe Tua, Comeback Player of the Year, under the... Matthew Stafford standard because Matthew Stafford won it in 2011 and he'd never done anything and Tua could win it this year because he had never done anything and now he's getting it done. We'll talk about the Dolphins and Bears putting on one hell of a show when PFC Live continues right after this. He impressed me a lot. How, how, how much rushing yards did he have? He had like 200? 73 something. Jeez. I mean, dude's a baller. <laughs> Dude's a baller, and, you know, he was making some some plays in, in the past game as well. Um, but I'm happy for him. You know, I'm, I'm happy for for um, the success that he's finding. Um, he's finding himself in, in this league, and, um, you know, I, I think people are starting to recognize more uh, the more he gets out and has those opportunities to play. To talk about Loa praising Justin Fields, and Justin Fields, arguably the best of the 2021 first-round quarterbacks? I don't know. 178 oh, rushing yeah. yards. The most for any quarterback in a regular season game since at least 1940, surpassing Mike Ooh. Vick by five yards. Colin Kaepernick had more in a postseason game for the 49ers against the Packers back in 2012, I believe it was. But Justin Fields, having that extra level, that thing that allows him to run away from NFL-caliber defensive players, and you don't find out about it until you get into the NFL. That's when you find out how fast you are. That's when you find out what you can do against the best that the world has to offer. An unbelievable performance by Justin Fields yesterday in a loss. That's the problem. It's hard for him yeah. to truly enjoy it because they lost. But you could argue they shouldn't have. And that pass interference is a little inconsistent on pass interference in the NFL. It's kind of always been that way, but it reared its ugly head yesterday. But look at this 61-yard run by Justin Fields. Incredible. Yeah, I mean, that's the funny part. I mean, you just said it, that Tua Tungabailoa was saying, oh, you know, I'm really happy for him. Yeah, you're happy for him because he lost. You won the game. To the victor go the spoils, right? So it's easy to be happy for Justin Fields when he's playing that well and it's still a loss to him. Um, but, yeah, I mean, look, I, I like the fact that Matt Eberflus and Luke Getze have shifted this offense to be more of a style that fits Justin Fields. Right. I mean, we were watching them a few weeks ago and it was just like trying to fit a square peg into a round hole and it doesn't necessarily work. But since they have gone to running Justin Fields more, utilizing his skill set as a runner, it's made everything look more fluid and the Bears, it makes them look a lot more competitive. And so I think as the Bears sort of find themselves, you know, as we get later on in the season, it's going to be one of those teams where if you're in the NFC and you've got to play the Chicago Bears in December, you know, those first couple of weeks in January, you might not want to see them because they might have the chance to really play spoiler. 67 total points. I, I didn't have the guts to go with the over 45 and a half as a best bet, but it was one of those that was just stop, jumping off the page. Between those two offenses, what the Bears have been doing lately, yeah. what the Dolphins have been doing, the wind was a factor going into the weekend, but it wasn't a factor yesterday as the Dolphins score 35 and the Bears score 32. Uh, that, that pass interference call at the end, though, 
Yeah. I, I, I don't like the idea that we would call this foul all game long, but when the game's in the balance, we're going to, we're going to tuck the flag deeper in the pocket. If it's pass interference on the first drive, it should be pass interference on the last drive. And yeah. Miles, that sure looks like pass interference. I mean, it is pass interference. He clearly grabs him by the waist, as we're going to look at right here, and then pulls him back. If that's not pass interference, I don't know what is. And I mean, if we talk about, you know, you're going to put the flag deeper in your pocket, then Tom Brady shouldn't have gotten that call late in that game against the Los Angeles Rams, right? I mean, this is just the kind of thing that sometimes it happens. That's a foul. That's a clear foul, and it should have been addressed as such in the game. It's just one of the fundamental realities of the NFL. Pass interference is so subjective, and it's all happening so quickly. And they tried to make it subject to replay review three years ago, and they completely botched it. And now they're using that as the shield to ever having anything else subject to replay review. Oh, we can't do roughing the passer because it was such a disaster when we did pass interference. Yeah, because you created the disaster. Because you right. put somebody in charge of it who shouldn't have been in charge of it. And it was a shifting standard. Nobody knew what the hell was going to happen. And it's hard enough anyway with pass interference. A little bit easier with roughing the passer. A little bit easier with whether or not a defenseless player was hit in the head or neck area. Right. So I, I, it's a cop-out. But it's, let, let me tell you, I had the quote the other day because they sent the pep talk letter to the officials. Troy Vincent did. What a great job. Oh, you're all doing a great job. As everybody else knows that they're not. In the age of legalized gambling, these kinds of things make people think the fix is in. And there's a great quote that came from Roger Goodell back in 2009 when they were trying to fight Delaware in court as they tried to preserve the federal law that kept states from embracing gambling. The NFL was anti-gambling. And Goodell's point was things that are otherwise ordinary mistakes, people are going to think the fix is in. So what do people think when they see that yesterday, Miles? What are people going to think? I've been saying for years the fix isn't in. The games aren't rigged. But when you see stuff like that, it gets harder to argue to the tinfoil hat crowd that the fix isn't in. I guess it does. But, I mean, over the course of a game, you see so many things where mistakes are made, and it, it happens to both sides. So I, I agree. Know. I mean, I, I agree, but the that's the only making, one that people are going to talk about. I, right. Well, I, well, yes, because it's the only one we're talking about. So who's setting the agenda on that? Oh, it's you and me and, you know, our producers and everybody. So, like, I don't know. Well, I think we're a reflection of what people are organically noticing, that that's the I, one I, big, that's I know. the moment. That's where the game turns. So, anyway, uh, let's take a break. Sunday statement draft for week nine when PFT Live continues right after this. That was awesome. That was fucking awesome. How much did this team need an emotional win like that? Uh, we needed it. We needed it. We got it. We fought to the end. Defense played great. Made some plays offensively. Um, you know, I know we left a few out there, but it's a t you know it's a team's tough team. So uh, got some great players. Glad we won. In contrast, Aaron Rodgers in the all black. There's Tom Brady in the glorious all white as he. Finally gets a win and working blue behind the podium with his mm. post. A lot of cursing this year in press Seriously? conferences, Miles. Jerry yeah. Burns is somewhere smiling. 
<laughs> yeah, well, I mean, people have potty mouths. I don't know about that. The NFL may need to cut down on that. Where you get all these quarterbacks, you know, dropping bombs at their press conferences after the game. The all-time great press conference, and it was just 33 years ago as of a couple of days, right on the money. Vikings-Rams game. Jerry Burns went off, and it was a thing of beauty. All right, Sunday statements for week nine. Miles, what do you got? Yeah, look up that Jerry Burns thing on YouTube. All right, my first Sunday statement is going to just be Dicker the Kicker, and I'm using this because we need to talk about how the Chargers and Falcons are basically just the same franchise on opposite ends <laughs> of the country. And, like, because they both tried to give this game away so badly. I mean, when Austin Eckler fumbles on a play where you're just trying to run it, you're kind of trying to run out the clock, get Atlanta to use all the timeouts that they need to do, da-da-da-da-da, and he fumbles the ball, and then a defensive lineman picks it up, and then he's running down the field, and then he also fumbles it, and then the Chargers pick it back up i mean this is insanity these two are the same franchise it's like the spider-man meme where they're pointing at each other so yeah good good job dicker the kicker for coming through on a 37 yard field goal but my god these two teams are just absolutely the same you know this is supposed to be a positive segment miles you you've been hanging around me way too much i'll, I'll take it the other way but i agree with you my my phrase for the chargers to quote the late great gilda radner's Roseanne, Roseanne, Adana, it's always something. And it feels the same way with the Falcons. It's always something that derails what otherwise was a promising effort. All right. Uh, I, I Look, I, positivity, Joe Mixon, five touchdowns. We talked about it earlier. We tried to get to some things maybe we didn't get to. But five touchdowns, one short of the all-time record for Joe Mixon yesterday. And a critical time for the Bengals. They didn't have a running game. It felt like they were kind of in disarray. But they get the win. They're five and four going into the bye week. Last year, going into the bye week, they were five and four. So they 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 know that. Mixon brought that up. They're exactly where they were last year. No Super Bowl hangover. We're exactly where we were, and they move forward into their bye, and they get the Steelers on Sunday night football subject to a flex coming up in 13 days. Yeah, that, that kind of should be subject to a flex, shouldn't it? I don't know if we really need to see the Steelers Not our decision. Time very much we don't anymore. have any input in that. That's an NFL decision. Go ahead. Uh, I know, but I wish we had a little more influence. Okay, my second pick. I'm going to go with the Patriots, another team we kind of talked about earlier, but I was on the negative side. I'll be on the positive side this time, Mike. When you talk about the New England Patriots, they are now also 5-4. and four. And look, I mean, I think that they have a chance – to be competitive enough to get themselves into the postseason. Whenever you see Bill Belichick coach up uh, his defense against a young team and a young quarterback, right? This is the kind of stuff we eventually expect to see. They're going to demolish them. They're going to embarrass them. But when you hold a team to no conversions on third down in 14 tries, that is a banner day defensively, and they deserve a lot of credit for it. We talked a lot about Justin Fields. We didn't talk much about the Dolphins. I mentioned this guy a couple of times throughout the course of the show as it relates to MVP candidates. But Tyreek Hill, not just for yesterday, but the statement he's made all year long, and I probably had him in last week too, but he actually increased his pace. You know, we talk about, oh, someone's on pace for this. As of last week, he was on pace for 2,040 receiving yards. Now he's on pace for 2,085 after 143 yesterday. We just take it for granted. And this guy called his shot. I really do think deep down he saw what Cooper Cup was doing last year, and he said, I can do that, and he's doing it, and he's getting the chances to do it, and it is incredible. And the best news is he may 
generate enough receiving yards that the asterisk doesn't matter, that he will have on average over 17 the same average that Calvin Johnson had over 16. So no one can say, well, he had the extra game to do it. So I hope if he does break it, he breaks it by enough that per game, it's as many or more than Calvin Johnson. And he very well may do it, Miles. I mean, I I know we can talk about asterisk or whatever, but I think that, you know, as we sort of put it, you, you sort of put it last night, you know, you can no. put that asterisk you know, the where che- the Packers put with the, the cheese. cheese. Yes. You know? Yeah, yes. yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's exactly where I was going with that. <laughs> Uh, last pick for me, I, I will go with Patrick Mahomes because they needed the Kansas City Chiefs him to step up in the way that he stepped up. And look, I know that everybody wants to talk about Josh Allen as the perennial MVP candidate, and he is, but so is Patrick Mahomes, man. And they, when they needed Patrick Mahomes to be that elite player that we know that he is, he stepped up. And he got it done. And man, I, I like the way the Kansas City Chiefs are playing right now. And if this thing continues like it is, I mean, yeah, it looks like we're going into the uh, Mahomes and Allen again in the postseason. I, I really like that. I'll go Robert Sala and the Jets because, look, we didn't mention him earlier. We talked about how Zach Wilson improved from last week to this week. But the coaching staff had a lot to do with that. The way they take the negatives coming out of the loss to the Patriots, turn it into a positive for this game, and somehow get that team in the mindset after having a very demoralizing loss to the Patriots to not think we have no chance against the Buffalo Bills, to rise to the occasion, to come together. The, the running game is getting it done without Brees Hall, Michael Carter, James Robinson. It's amazing. we got to take a break. We'll wrap up this Monday edition of PFT Live right after this. mentioned Mr. Peanut earlier, and our friend Ken emailed this excellent observation. Is there anything that cries out capitalism more than a peanut wearing a top hat, a cane, and having a monocle selling you other peanuts to eat? So, <laughs> uh, and I think that's Pete Carroll. I think that's Pete yeah, Carroll as Mr. It peanut. Is. Next year's Halloween costume. Uh, Mr. Peanut. But yes, uh, I am a peanut, and here are other peanuts that I want you to devour. Will the Ravens devour the Saints tonight on Monday Night Football, Miles? Uh, I think that they should, right? I mean, the the Ravens are a better team than the New Orleans Saints this year, and I think it's going to be another opportunity to see Lamar Jackson and what he can do. I mean, look, if if Mark Andrews is not going to play, we'll see what what Isaiah likely can do tonight. Because, I mean, this is one of those things where he's got to step up. Well, and he had a great game against the Buccaneers. He had the Mm toe-tap touchdown. He recovered the onside kick. And this is an opportunity tonight for the Ravens. And, And it's a necessity. The Bengals won. The Bills lost. The Titans lost. The Ravens can can kind of thrust themselves into the conversation and maybe get into the pursuit for the number one seed in the AFC, but they need to win tonight. And the Saints are just they're kind of too all over the place. They're yeah. down, and then they pull it together, and they shut out the Raiders. Uh, I think it's going to be a tough what game for the Saints mean? tonight, but we'll see. The, what do you mean? Oh, well, yeah, exactly. I thought you meant what <laughs> did I? I, I, no, I understand no. now. Yes. I understand. Yeah, yeah. But the Superdome, hey, it, it'll, 
it'll be loud, it'll be raucous, and it's worth watching to see what the Saints and uh, and the Ravens do tonight. Far better than the alternative on Thursday night between the Panthers and the Falcons. So enjoy Ravens-Saints tonight. It's going to be the <laughs> best primetime game of the week. Stand up and get crunk, baby. I don't know what that means. <laughs> it's halftime. It it's what they play after touchdowns. See you later, we'll Mike. We'll take a break. We're done. We're taking a break for 20 hours. See you tomorrow.